Whelan Presley and Van Hall Funeral Homes have been serving Quad City families and veterans for over 100 years. Whelan Presley is located in Rock Island, Milan, Reynolds, and Van Hall in East Moline, proudly supporting WQPT. Alternatives is a proud supporter of WQPT and has been serving our community for 40 years. Alternatives provides professional guidance to maintain independence and quality of life for older adults and adults with disabilities. Paying for college is getting easier, or so they say, and hitting the right chords. A look back at the music scene from the 1970s through the 90s in the cities. The music scene in the cities was a lot different in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, and one man remembers it all. We'll talk with Brad Harvey in just a few minutes, but first, paying for school. The federal government says it's making it easier for you to apply for money for higher education through FAFSA, Free Application for Federal Student Aid. But it's been a problem for some families. It comes as Western Illinois University is actually being called the least expensive public university to attend in Illinois. So we talked with WIU Associate Director of Admissions, Cassie Daly. Well, we're really worried in some ways about FAFSA um, and parents and students uh, filling out the forms, which were supposed to be simplified, but then they came late. Mm -hmm. um, tell me about the status right now, and, and, and should people be like really worried about getting the form filled out? Now, I think it's going to be the same. Everybody's going to be in the same boat. Every student applying for FAFSA, they've all had the same opening date. Um, I will say the federal government was pretty good about like giving colleges the heads up of, hey, this is going to be delayed. We didn't know the date for a long time of like, oh, we knew it had to be by federal reg regulations open by December 31st. Well, and and that's it when it coming. opened. <laughs> yeah, and, and originally they thought maybe October would be at least you could start the process. And, and, and like you said, it was the last day. Yes, and what families could do and what colleges were really good about was like letting students know and families know, go ahead and go out and get your FAFSA ID, your FSA ID, which is basically the way that you're gonna sign your FAFSA at the end of the day. Um, so if you had that part done, then when the FAFSA opened up, you could you know start the process. And I will say having a, a son that's a senior this year, and you know we went through the process and I told him, I said, it's gonna open on the 31st, but we're going to wait because it may may have some issues. And they have had, um, they've kind of taken offline, they kind of put it back on. And it's basically to control the system so it doesn't crash with everybody trying to access it, access it at once. So that's been um, kind of a little bit more of the delay of, yes, it opened on the 31st, but being able to get into it has um, taken families a, a few more tries to be able to get it finished and filled out. As you pointed out, everyone's in the same boat, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so talk to me on the other side as an administrator mm -hmm. of, of this. Um, 
are you expecting this huge influx or, or how does this work for you? Um, how it works for um, institutions and, you know, Western obviously, is that, um, you know, we're going to get a student's financial aid record a little bit later than we're used to getting it. Um, now, what kind of impact that's going to have, that's kind of to be determined right now. Um, once we get a student's FAFSA record, uh, then we get that information and then we have to generate what's called their financial aid award letter. And so all institutions are going to be in that, that same boat of they're getting the, the FAFSA record a little bit later and then plugging that into their system to create the award letter may cause some delays, but it, it may not. Um, it really kind of depends on um, everybody's system and how, who could handle what and how that's going to get out. But um, I don't I, I think it'll be I think it'll be OK at the end of the day of, yes, things may be a little bit delayed, but they may not either. It's really kind of to be determined on when we get those students financial aid records of the what the federal government telling us is going to be the end of January. There are some significant changes as as uh, as we go through this year, mm -hmm. as far as grants and scholarships are concerned. I mean, no two years are ever the same for students or parents. Mm -hmm. Correct. What are we expecting in this is this coming year? I mean, uh, Pell grants have changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, there has been a change in the Pell formula. Um, it's one of the changes on the, the FAFSA form. But students could, that are eligible for it, could qualify for up to $1,200 more per year. So that will be a benefit to students no matter what institution they're going to, no matter what state they're in. So that, that could be a, a, a bonus. And in Illinois, MAP grants have been so essential for so many students. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the legislature has made moves to make sure that that's available to more people. Mm -hmm. It seems like um, just you know looking back as far as I um, was able to, since 2020, there's been a steady increase every year in, the, in MAP funding. And I think the proposed one for the 2020 24 for a map is like a hundred dollars a hundred million dollars more um, now map is only for Illinois students going to Illinois institutions um, and so that's another benefit of, of staying staying in state well and when we had those budget issues uh, um, you know between the lawmakers and the governor and the map grants were really at the center of some students decisions to leave uh, Illinois I mean, has that somewhat rectified now? Have you, have you noticed that more Illinois students are staying in Illinois because that flight to the other states, to Iowa, to Wisconsin, Minnesota, perhaps, Indiana, was significant? Yeah, I don't know that if we've been able to, um, we have that data yet for, it for this year. right, now. right. Um, But I think the increase in the MAP grant has has helped um, for sure. And I think um, now you know, students are looking for the most affordable option. And obviously staying in state is that more affordable option. Um, and there's great institutions, Western being one of them, that has great quality programs that is that are accessible and they're affordable. Well, and you lead right into it. Western Illinois University picked as the least expensive public university in Illinois. Mm -hmm. Bold headlines for Western. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Why is that so important? Um, it's important because as students are trying to make a good, sound financial decision of they're wanting to you know, pursue their education and they don't want um, an institution where they're going to walk out with being, you know, so far in debt that it's, you know, one of those holes that they can't climb out of. And and 
Western having these great programs, you know, having over 60 different majors that a student can choose from, um, majors that are in demand, um, that employers are, are looking for graduates from our program. So they're able to come to a quality institution and then also have the added benefit that it's affordable for them and they're not going to have to, you know, rely on so much the, um, you know, student loans and, you know, other ways to help pay for pay for college at the end of the day. That is becoming more and more onerous is, is the payback of the student loans. You're hearing it all the time. Mm -hmm. And it has so many people questioning the value of a four year education, perhaps two years someplace and then come to uh, a Western or, or just not get that post-secondary education that used to be, you know, uh, step B in your education. Are, are you still facing that? And, 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 and if you are, what do you do about it? Well, I think it's important that, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's jobs for a lot of different you know, individuals, and we, we need students going into the trades, but we also need students pursuing those, those four year, that four-year education for um, jobs and careers that are gonna require it. Um, and so I think that the transfer of, you know, students maybe starting in a two-year two institution and then transferring to four-year. Um, we also have a lot of non-traditional students um, that maybe went out into the workforce and did some of those those trades or went out into the workforce, workforce first, but now they're seeing that oh, if I wanna advance in my career, I need that four-year education. And so I think both of those things are happening right now um, with students you know, trying to make, make choices. Um, I know that you, know, you commented that um, you know, students were choosing to go out into the workforce because of the, you know, the high cost of college education. And I think that this is you know, Western being affordable and offering all these programs is the way that we're trying to get that word out to students to let them know you don't have to make that choice. Like you can pursue your education at an affordable rate. A lot of people, you know, as you well know, I mean, you went to college for the college experience as mm -hmm. well. Um, has that really diminished? I think to each his own. Um, I think the college experience has probably changed from the time that you know I was there a few decades ago. But um, I think every student is looking for their own path and their own experience. And I think that's one thing that's great about institutions in, you know, obviously I speak for Western, but um, that students can find their own, their own niche. Um, at, at the college and you know whether it's they want to be involved with uh, clubs and organizations or maybe they want to be more um, involved with you know activism or you know something like that um, they're able to find their path um, the choice of campus whether they choose the Macomb campus that is that more traditional feel or they come here to the Quad Cities campus which is um, a different feel for students where they're still able to be involved but they're still able to, to stay close to home or you know, keep their job that they have here in the Quad Cities. So it's really kind of just a different, um, different atmosphere, and students can kind of make that choice. We're heading into February. What, what do you say to high school seniors and their families right now? I mean, when is it too late to have nailed down what college you're going to? Should you have done it the year before? Should you have done it in the fall? I mean, we're coming down to decision time for so many families. Yeah, and I there's some institutions that are going to say, hey, May 1st, May 1st, May 1st. Um, that pressure has alleviated itself a little bit over the last couple years. Um, the, you know, being test optional has definitely alleviated a lot of that, um, that pressure on students. As far as making a decision, um, I think what's most important is for students and families to look at, okay, if I'm looking at 10 options on the table right now, 
Um, what are the scholarship deadlines for those 10 options? So you don't have to make a choice, but fill out those scholarship applications because if there's a deadline, you wanna at least know that, okay, that's in. So if you make the choice for that school, then you've already filled out you know, additional scholarship application paperwork and to have all of that done in a timely manner. I think as far as making the choice, um, students still have plenty of time to make that choice. There's a lot of institutions that are still accepting admissions applications, um, Western being one of them that have rolling admissions so you can apply at any time. Um, so not too late, uh, but just you know maybe looking ahead at some deadlines that the schools that you're considering may have just to make sure you meet all those deadlines for scholarships or having the FAFSA and that type of thing. But as you know, that's overwhelming. And the way you're describing it is like, you know, for some families that might, may either be struggling or that have a lot on their plate anyhow, mm -hmm. this is a tough period of time. So, I mean, how do you better prepare yourself? I think just looking ahead, yeah. looking at some of those deadlines. Don't push it off. Right. Um, when those financial aid award letter packages start coming in, when, you know, families get their FAFSA form forms back and get their information back um, to be able to look at the affordability piece and you know be able to have those those conversations with their with their student whether you're a parent or maybe you're a mentor of of somebody that kind of you know doesn't have that that guidance at home um, just to kind of talk through options um, you know we always talk about okay your reach school or your your dream school your reach school your you know your backup options and to kind of have you know multiple options on the table you don't have to make any choices but mm -hmm. just know and be prepared for all the options that that may be there you don't necessarily have to have your career already plotted out no. or how to reach that goal mm -hmm. Although for some people that is helpful, I'm sure. So if you're if you're a high school sophomore or a junior, mm -hmm. what would you be doing to prepare so that it isn't such a huge burden in your senior year? Um, doing the research, looking at schools that you may be interested in, whether it's going on a website, making those college campus visits to places that you might be interested in. Um, it's never too early to do that, especially as a junior, when you're walking into your junior year, um, kind of doing that exploration. And if there's 10 schools that you're interested in, kind of looking at, okay, what are the admission requirements? Am I even, you know, is, is this an, an option for me? Is this campus located somewhere I want to be. And kind of to think about some of that, th some of those things. Um, your first year in, in college, you are just doing some general classes. So you have some time to make a choice on major. But if you, if a student knows what major, if they're passionate of like, I want to be a nurse, mm -hmm. then yeah, look at schools that have nursing. You not necessarily want to put something on the table that doesn't have a nurse, you know, doesn't have a nursing um, option. So just kind of doing some of that preliminary research. Try not to overburden yourself. It's easier mm -hmm. said than done, but there is help out there as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Um, one of the, um, you know, if, you, if it's not an institution, um, college reps come to high schools and community colleges. We're definitely open and willing to talk to students. Um, sometimes I joke that I'm the best admissions counselor for other places because if somebody comes to me and they're like, here's what I want. Um, if I know of an institution, then sometimes I will make suggestions. Um, you know, obviously I feel like Western's a great fit for so many students. Um, but I think also those other resources are like the Illinois State Ass Assistance Commission, which is 
is ISAC. Um, they have a very helpful website. They've got links to other scholarship opportunities that are available um, you know, within ISAC and maybe outside ISAC. Um, there's ISAC core representatives um, in the area that come and also visit high schools and that's their job too is um, talk about the affordability and the you know how to pay for it piece but they also can help students with you know college choices and, and doing some of that college research and then a, a student's counselor high school counselor um, they have resources for their students to be able to do research or know when college reps are coming in or just to maybe help get them get them started western illinois university associate director of admissions cassie daly Still ahead, the music scene in the cities at the time of the heyday of Cheap Trick, Trickmaster Monkey, and others. But first, the music scene right now. Rebecca Cassad and Alan Morrison are a true team. Rebecca plays ukulele, sings, and writes original songs. Alan accompanies her on the U-bass, the acoustic guitar, and harmonizes. And they joined us at the Black Box Theater to play one of those originals that they have. It's called Every Day of the Year. Rebecca Cassad and Alan Morrison with Every Day of the Year. Well, you have to be of a certain age to remember Oil Magazine, the free music newspaper that for some was the rolling stone of the cities in the 1990s. The man behind it all, Brad Harvey, has a book out that looks back at the music scene and his life, successes and defeats. That book is called I Know Why the Caged Brad Sings. And we talked with Brad Harvey. So Brad, I mean, the book, it's just interesting from beginning to end, very autobiographical at the beginning. Um, and then you really do talk about a lot about the music scene uh, uh, later on in, in the mm -hmm. Quad Cities. 
for anybody who grew up in the 70s and the 80s, it was a great time for music. Great time for music, but not so great economically in this region. Absolutely. Uh, my father worked at Farmall, and like a lot of the other plants, it was like a domino. Uh, his plant went under in, I think, he, 84, 1984. And it was really tough around here to, like, just if you're an average guy just looking to get any job. And a lot of the people that still had just enough time in uh, to continue working but not to retire, they ended up having to, to go off to Indianapolis. They would share an apartment, you know, four or five guys or whatever, and work through the week and then come back to the Quad Cities on the weekends. And my dad had just enough time in there, but he didn't want to he didn't want to hang out, live with a bunch of guys in a crappy apartment. Just to get through. Yeah, he was an auto mechanic, and so he just hung out his sign in the in our garage, and that's what I remember him doing growing up. You are so connected to the music scene in the Quad Cities during that era. Um, and of course, you know, the, the founder of uh, Oil Magazine, which I do want to talk about. Why do, why do you think it was important to talk about, I mean, you've, you've got, I'm not saying you name drop, but you drop a lot of names of people that were musicians, some influential, some less so, in the Quad City music scene. Um, Initially, my wife and I, uh, I quit my job down in Tennessee, and uh, a lot of people call it retirement, but I'd call it as just like I couldn't take it anymore. And my wife reassured me we'd be okay if I quit work at the time. And uh, we had the notion that uh, we live outside, about 30 miles outside of Nashville in Tennessee, and we really thought we wouldn't be able to afford to live down there, and we thought, well, we could move back to the Quad Cities, houses are cheap. We could sell where we're living, which is a modest house, but that's a hot housing market right now. Very much so, yeah. And we could buy something outright. But my attitude became, well, if I'm gonna live up here, I'm gonna make a job for myself. So I thought about, why not a, a music museum? Uh, and this book was written is a bit of a resume so that when I went to the city planners and said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you guys open a music museum and put some money behind it and I'll be the curator. And that's why this book was written the way it was written. Kind of a resume. <laughs> I could just hand him the book. Well, who, who are you? And I could just say, this is who I am. Read it. And if you don't like the book, you're probably not going to like any of my ideas. Why is it important to have a museum of that sort? In the Quad Cities? I think it would be good because uh, this is not a tourist destination, the Quad Cities. It's isolated. Uh, I, the only thing a town has, I get, get kind of tongue-tied <laughs> when I get on my high horse, but the only thing that a city has is its own history and its own personality. And there are people that are like, for example, Bick Spiderbeck. I think they're still kind of struggling to maintain the museum for him. Uh, and I know that it took those guys a long time. There are people that genuinely are into the idea of having the museum and they do it, they volunteer to keep it all open, but they shouldn't have to struggle that hard. We've had so many people come out of this area. Um, I just think that if they had a museum, it would be, it would help bring tourist trade here. And isn't that what everybody's wanting always? Mm -hmm. So, 
where, where, what is the status then of, of a music museum that, that you, you know, see for the future? A status by... Do you have a building? Do you have a plan? Do you have a location? I had one meeting, it was a FaceTime, this is months ago, with someone with uh, Renew Moline. He's a good guy, um, Kirk Marsky. And uh, he used to be the producer over at Dwyer Michaels, I right. believe, their morning show. And I talked to him, and uh, he gave me a lot of the uh, available grants and, and even a list of, of buildings that were available. I mean, there's no shortage of empty buildings here. And that was fine, but um, I don't know if I put across that I don't have any money. What I have is a good work ethic and a lot of knowledge. That's what I can bring to the table, but uh, I don't know. I came up here for a visit and I stayed for a funeral. My dad passed away. This is as long as I've been in the Quad Cities since I left 23 years ago. And there's kind of aspects of it that kind of remind me of why I left to begin with. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a convoluted answer to your question, but it's, it's a mix of emotions. In your book, you, you do have some really interesting stories about uh, your connection to uh, music and what, what you do know of the music scene. And I want to double check if I got one right. It has to do with Cheap Trick yeah. and the Traveler's Motel in Bettendorf. Right. The name of Cheap Trick came from Bettendorf? Yeah, Cheap Trick were from Rockford mm -hmm. and uh, well documented. And But at the time, they were struggling just like everybody else. They didn't even have their... Their, uh, the lineup that they ended up with, that you know, the world knows Robin, Rick, Bun, and Tom. They didn't have that lineup at the time, and they were, they were doing business under the name Sick Man of Europe, which they gleaned from a newspaper headline. It was kind of a, kind of a reference to, I guess, the European economy. Uh, and uh, at the time, I think they were they were trying to play original material and just really off the wall stuff stuff that actually they became famous for. Anyway, they had a gig at, at uh, in Bettendorf. Um, boy, the name escapes me at the moment, the name of the, the club there, but they, they had booked a week. And they kind of vacillated. The singer they had at the time was a guy named Zeno, uh, which they nicknamed him. His real name was Randy Hogan. And uh, he made a remark to Rick, who played some guitar lick that he thought was goofy, and he just said, hey, that's a cheap trick, and the name stuck. They had a lot of names because the joke was they would get fired from a club <laughs> and then book themselves under a new name right back in. <laughs> and uh, there's a photograph in my book where uh, it's actually from the Sterling High School yearbook, and it's uh, towards the front of the book, and that's you can see Rick before he had his trademark hat. Bun's got hair down to his shoulders. They've got a different lead singer than Robin Zander, and Tom Peterson is giving the thumbs up to the cameraman. So, you are so well known, uh, you know, not only as a musician, but you're so well known for oil. Um, and and it was a publication that I, I like the fact that you kind of you equated it to. It's the Rolling Stone meets the Thrifty Nickel, I think you said. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was a, an incredible way of... And I love the fact that uh, uh, the very first uh, few editions, uh, uh, at least the first one, you had to fill space, so you clipped other people's ads in and put yeah. in there. Oil Magazine is, in some ways, a legacy for you as well, is it not? 
It is. I mean, it's kind of a, every once in a while I'll run into somebody who remembers me from 20, 30 years ago. But it was never my intention to be that angry, drunk guy at the end of the bar uh, screaming about what he did 30 years ago. And, and nobody cares because generations change and everything evolves. And, you know, you're not the, you're not the hot shot you were 30 years ago. Uh, generations move on. Um, well, that was kind of a bummer thing to, to <laughs> say, but I mean, realistically, uh, I think that you sort of have to acknowledge that. We all have our time and then we don't. Brad Harvey, musician, founder of Oil Magazine and author of I Know Why the Caged Brad Sings. On the air, on the radio, on the web, on your mobile device and streaming on your computer. Thanks for taking some time to join us as we talk about the issues on the cities. and Van Ho Funeral Homes have been serving Quad City families and veterans for over 100 years. Whelan Presley is located in Rock Island, Milan, Reynolds, and Van Ho in East Moline, proudly supporting WQPT. Alternatives is a proud supporter of WQPT and has been serving our community for 40 years. Alternatives provides professional guidance to maintain independence and quality of life for older adults and adults with disabilities.